Did you turn your camera on? There, there I am. Yeah, yeah. There you are. Yay. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay, so now I have everything together. Are we ready to do this? We're going to do the usual countdown, uh, introductions, and all the other uh, fun stuff as well. As John already knows, seasoned <laughs> veteran of the yeah. podcast here. <laughs> so I think we're all set then. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. five, four, four, three, two, two. And one. one. Hello, world, in a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome back, listeners. It is, well, I guess uh, the podcast is back on a regular schedule. It is uh, a few, well, a couple days now past uh, the Habs hockey season, which uh, uh, feels so much different now, uh, despite. Um, well, I don't know. We had all sorts of crazy news today, didn't we? At least on Twitter. And we'll get to that and more <laughs> because we actually have a guest with us tonight. But my name is David Ojay, and I'm at MetalDave01 on Twitter.com. And I'm joined, as always, by Beth. Hi, I'm at H-I-V-R-H-U-I-T on Twitter. And Veronica. Yeah, I'm at C-H-I-L-E underscore Pepper on Twitter. And we have a guest with us tonight. Um, He has been on the on the podcast uh, times prior and has emerged from the bubble <laughs> over in the uh, Toronto, uh, you know, city. This is, <laughs> this is John Liu, as you know him from TSN. John, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on everybody. It's good to be back here. We're, we're well, very to happy you. to have you. Absolutely. Thanks. So, um, oh yeah. And we're the happy hour at happyhour.com <laughs> by the way, as well. <laughs> So, um, John, we'll jump right into the Habs and um, the the playoff experience that almost wasn't, but ended up being and ended up being a whole lot more than we expected. Um, something that I'm really curious about, and I'm sure listeners are curious about, too, is that can you give us a day in the life of the bubble, la boule, as it is? Yeah. Uh, well, technically, I wasn't in the bubble. I was just sort of on the edge oh. of it. Um, and there really were only about three or four of us Montreal beat reporters. There was Eric Engels, Stu Cowan, um, myself, and I'm not really sure who else was there, but um, because every, pretty much everybody was still in Montreal at home mm. taking part in uh, interviews on Zoom. And uh, so the ones who were there, um, basically we were staying either in B&Bs or hotels. And um, so basically you wake up in the morning, do a workout, have breakfast, um, and then jump on to the morning Zoom, which on off days would be, uh, well, Claude Julien. And then after Claude had his, his heart attack, um, and thankfully he's, he's doing better, he's resting, and uh, from all accounts is on his way to a full and complete recovery. Uh, and then Kirk Muller um, and players. On game days, just Kirk Muller. Uh, and then I would head to, I don't even really know to, what to call it, but uh, TSN um, uh, rented a suite in Le Germain Hotel across from uh, Scotiabank Arena in Maple Leaf Square. And yes, we had, yeah, we had it's a, a beautiful boutique hotel. Oh yeah, yeah, gorgeous place. And we had yeah. uh, uh, we, our suite was on the fifth floor, and our balcony overlooked the front of the arena. And so all our content that we shot, whether it was for the web on uh, you know, ice chips on TSN.ca. Or uh, items for Sports Center. That's hockey. Um, 
we did a new little feature that co-opted with the guys from Bar Down. Everything was shot from the perch, as we came to call it over time. And uh, so on game days, I would basically do my my morning skate duties and then stay in at the perch and watch hockey for about five, six hours <laughs> until until the Canadians game started. And uh, so, yeah, you know what? I, I literally breathed, ate, slept hockey for nearly three weeks. Um, I I didn't watch any news. I didn't listen to any music. I was literally just watching hockey from noon until one in the morning. Um, wow. Uh, NBA too would watch the Raptors when uh, when their games were on. Awesome, uh, but yeah, it's like I've never been immersed in hockey quite like that. But it was a smorgasbord, really, with games stacked up one after the other for you know sometimes five in one day. And um, so basically, on game days, I would watch the the uh, the first two periods, then head back to the perch and watch the third period on the TV in our in our suite because generally. As soon as the games, as soon as the Canadians games were over, Sports Center wanted me up live, and so I couldn't be running from the arena <laughs> to our live location and then try to catch zooms from uh, from the players and the coaches uh, post game. And um, yeah, um, file our content, head back to the hotel, um, sleep, wake up, rinse, uh, wash, rinse, <laughs> and uh, it was great. We really, really enjoyed it. Uh, just to be back covering hockey, especially Canadians in the playoffs, it's been three years. And yes, they were granted a real a gift to be in this, this, this postseason tournament to be qualified. But what's they, they earned their spot in the playoffs for being playing with them. So it was a tremendous experience. And uh, it's just too bad that uh, we didn't get to uh, be yeah. round two in Toronto today. But hey, that's the way she goes. That's, that's hey. It was as uh, it was as tight a series as one can expect. Um, I mean, you look at the the team stats across the board. Uh, Habs actually led uh, the Flyers in actual scoring, which, you know, if, when you talk about the Habs, if you talk about the Habs leading the scoring between uh, February and March and now, it would be almost you know no one can make a bet on it, right? Um, but um, yeah, that sounds that's all really that's a that sounds all really interesting and sounds like a Sounds like it was really difficult for you for three weeks there, John. <laughs> Man, he got to he got to meet um, Brian Mudrick's uh, puppy. Yes, as yeah. well. I was Sir really Pop. jealous of that. <laughs> yeah. well, that was one of the highlights of my trip. Yeah, <laughs> Muddy's little uh, little Shih Tzu, who's an absolute treasure. And it was so cute. Of, the minute I walked in the door, he was there wagging and snuffling. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he just became my buddy instantly. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I miss my girls. Uh, I'll see them in a couple of weeks when I head out to Nova Scotia for uh, oh, good. a week. But um, but yeah, Sir Pops filled the dog boy. But I have to say, walking around um, the waterfront in Toronto, it's mm-hmm. just amazing how many little dogs there are. But I think because people live in condos, they have yeah. to. They can only have small dogs, and so it was great. I mean, I was inclined to probably stop and try to pet and. You know, pay attention Aww. to every little dog that I saw. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, uh, but yes, pops, uh, pops. That was definitely one of the uh, one of the best parts of my trip. But that was awesome. that was um, in in the happy hour group chat. That was an alert. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a topic. That was a topic of conversation. (laughs) That's pretty funny. So it's like you monitor Twitter and stuff like that and Instagram while you're. uh, Oh, I get notifications when you post. Oh. Oh okay. Oh yeah. You and and Brian. Yeah. I let the ladies cover that a hundred and ten percent. It's only like that you would have my tweets. That you would get notifications for my tweets. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, of course. Uh, Absolutely, tweets and um, Instagram. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. Wholesome it is content. A plus material. A Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, Brian, uh, he took good care of me. Um, I walked to his place because it was like maybe a couple of kilometers from my hotel. Good thing I did that I walked because uh, we got roaring drunk. And, uh, <laughs> he uh, made a very nice dinner for me, and um, yes, um, and pops was, you know, one of the the highlights of the evening, and. So I, when I got back to my hotel, it's like, I think it was a game day the next day too. Oh um, no. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, uh, I, I managed to get enough sleep and drank enough water before I went to bed, <laughs> you know, answered the bell, <laughs> but uh, yeah, good times in Toronto. That's awesome. What was the beverage of choice? Uh, started with beer, which was this, I think it was an IPA of some sort. I can't remember the name of it, but it had a curler on it. Um, Oh, awesome. Uh, a brewery, hmm. Yeah, a local brewery. And so, of course, with the curling connection there, uh, Muddy obviously would have that in his fridge. And yeah. then he's a, he's a real wine connoisseur. I, I, I'm not sure quite sommelier level, level, but he really knows his red wines. And so we, um, you know, partook in that uh, couple of <laughs> bottles. And <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And, and then he uh, capped the evening off with a bourbon, which was like the, the match yeah. that did the fuse. And so. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I would have been fine yeah. without the bourbon, but. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That sounds, that sounds like a great time. That's awesome. Oh, my Lord. So, well, Brian, then he he lives then in Toronto and you were able just to hang out with him, you're saying? Yeah, he has this beautiful okay. condo uh, just above the distillery district. And uh, <gasps> the distillery district. I, I love distillery. the distillery district. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Man. Yeah. yeah, and so his um, his balcony sort of face southeast so you see the lake and you see oh, uh, well the sun rises over the balcony but you oh, get there's still enough it's, it's a corner it's a corner uh, condo and so he's got two sides covered and so you, you get a little bit of the west too so it's just a fantastic uh, fantastic wow spot. He's on party the- at party at brian madrick's house yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's after so- covid it's not huge, but it's very cozy, a fantastic view. And uh, he's like 31 floors up. So it's, wow. uh, yeah, fantastic. Just a, a beautiful, beautiful place. And so, um, yeah. And, and a real short walk along the Queen's Key back to, uh, you know, the base of Young Street. And yeah, yeah. fantastic mm-hmm. spot. Yeah. That's wow. So sounds cool. like Brian has it real tough. <laughs> <laughs> he's I'm not going to give the address because all your uh, your, your listeners are going to probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, leave that for after. I'll see you later. We'll try to get it from him directly, the poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> he'd invite you guys. If, you know, if you went to Toronto, I'm sure he'd invite you over. Oh, mm. for sure. So we'll you tell him John said so. and drink his wine. Yeah, I'll bring, <laughs> yeah. I'll bring him some wine and some <laughs> bourbon. We've got, we've got both here that are really good. So. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, that's yeah. great to hear. No, it's good to yeah. hear that um, because when it comes to the bubble, you know, we're thinking that you know everybody is um isolated inside. Now you say you know that you're on the uh, the edge of it, so it's cool that people are at least able to do 
as normal a thing as one could expect given the circumstances well of the time so it's really cool john it's cool to hear you know what in some ways to be honest with you i think that's uh we in the media had it better in than people in the bubble because we could move about freely go wherever we want but having said that you know i still um i was still smart about where i went and what i did oh, yeah. you know for the times that i did go out uh, to restaurants it was basically takeout places uh, Stu Cowan and I went to a pub um, uh, fairly late in the series, but the place was pretty much empty. And, um, you know, I I, went, I think I went shopping once, just at this little place on Queen Street that sells really cool masks. Um, mind you, though, I, on my way into Toronto, I did my shopping. I bought a new drum kit, which oh. sat in my car for three weeks. Oh, and, man. Uh, so, so I didn't want to spend any more money. So I wasn't at risk of oh. going into places you know, like where my social distancing might be compromised. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my one big acquisition, I was hoping every night that my car wouldn't get broken into. And uh, fortunately, it didn't. Oh, Although, God, yes. Carrying around a 40, 50-pound box full of electronic drum components. You see it behind me there. The, yes, the I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, as much as I wanted to stay as long as possible to cover as much hockey as possible, in the back of my mind, I was itching to get home and oh, yeah. unpack that box and set up that kit and, you know, make some really good noise. So there we go. <laughs> so, uh, so, the was, it, so it wasn't actually that bad for us uh, outside, just on the edge of the bubble. And, I, you know, I do feel for the people that are in there because I think it would really be like Groundhog Day inside yeah. the bubble. And, um, you know, just because your, your mobility is very limited. And so, um, you know, people that are ripping on Rick Bonus for the comments that he made about how difficult life is in the bubble. It's like, think back to- It's not normal. Like, well, no, think back to what it was like for all of us when the start of the pandemic hit and we were all isolated in our homes and we were slowly allowed to go for walks and go to the grocery store and that's about it. Now imagine being confined to two locations, maybe three that you can go to for your entertainment and you know, you basically yeah. that's what the bubble is like. You know, it's 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 really con a confined space. And uh, yeah, you know what? They have attractions. They have good meals. They have this. They have that. But they don't have their families. You know, no. they they don't have their girlfriends. They don't have uh they don't have their buddies. They don't have anybody other than teammates, uh, uh club employees, and you know staff that deliver their food and take care of their laundry and stuff like that. So, uh, and the same goes for the broadcasters and the staffers, you know, like everybody that's in the bubble, it is a very um, surreal way of living. And uh, so I can certainly empathize with people that, that were getting a little bit shack wacky and wanted out, or maybe players that weren't a hundred percent. Maybe the, the bubble lifestyle affected their play on the ice and that they weren't able to, completely give their best because on some level their their mental health might not have been completely there too that would have impeded their performances so it's uh yeah from from being sort of in it but not really um i i can probably uh say that bubble life would be far more difficult than it sounds like it would be on the surface yeah, no yeah i was just saying that to my son today to um my son who is 
you know, he was raised a Habs fan, but we live in Vancouver and he's, you know, he's been, he's been influenced by, you know, outside forces. And so he's also cheering for the Canucks. And he was just like, we were talking about yesterday's game and he's like, that was embarrassing, but I don't think that's going to happen again. But I was telling him about um, how I felt and, I know that Beth and Dave feel the same way, how I felt about, you know, the whole series and how Montreal performed and kind of how, you know, there there was a bit of an asterisk on, on the Canadians among a lot of the fan base in the media because they hadn't earned that playoff spot outright before the pause, but um, they earned it in that play-in round. And, Mm -hmm. You know, and then I just thought, you know, I I saw them play a bunch of good games that um, showed me a lot of good things to feel really happy about as a Habs fan. But also, I'm kind of glad, especially for Carrie, like Angela Price is pregnant right now and she's, you know, due soon. You know, I'm, I'm glad for them that they get to kind of, you know, I'm sure that they're disappointed and they would have liked to continue because they're all competitors, but that they get to go home and be with their families and kind of live out the rest of this bizarre 2020 summer until um, December, hopefully when we see them again. Yeah. Well, um, mid November, actually training camp. Oh yes. Tentatively supposed to start, but um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Carrie, I I think really reestablished his stature as one of the elite goaltenders in the league. Uh, like right from the start of that play-in series, he he served notice that he was ready and that he was rested, um, that he uh, that he if he had to, he was going to carry that team on his back as long as possible until everybody caught up to him. And um, I felt like they did um, at various points in the in the Philadelphia series. Um, and it's probably about uh, game second period of game three, I believe it was against Pittsburgh, when Coach Julian made adjustments at se- at the center position. Um, yes. When he, when he swapped out Nick Suzuki and Phil Dano, and that just seemed to be the uh, um, the magic bullets, um, giving them different wingers, and it just proved to be better matchups against Crosby and Malkin, and. Uh, so they made some good adjustments. They got really good performances from their key players like Kerry, like Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, um, Phil Dano, and uh, the kids really surprised. You know, the, the two young centers that we just mentioned, uh, and Jesper Kotkaniemi, uh, or sorry, I mentioned Phil Dano, but not Jesper Kotkaniemi, he and, uh, and Suzuki, certainly. Uh, they kind of grew up um, right before everybody's eyes, right? The fact that, especially Suzuki, with very tough matchups in both series, oh, yeah. and Kanemi, uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah, his his matchups were. Could you try again? Sorry, my, <laughs> my watch for some series takes dictation or something for some reason. Oh yeah, you move your wrist just right and it's yeah. listening. It's at like, that hey, point, I think, yeah. what's yeah. up? Yeah, I'll uh, try not to to do that. It happens <laughs> when I wipe it on Facetime. It's weird, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Kachinemi, the fact that he was so um, he was so dominant at five on five, uh, regardless of which which line matchup he found himself in, uh, these are all things that I think um, bode very well for the Canadians in the short term. Uh, once they start the next season, I think what will become the real issue is 
how much of that was illusory, how much of that is in fact reality. And uh, of course, it's going the, the team will be slightly different once we do start up again, just because um, there'll be free agency, there'll be the draft, there'll be uh, things will happen in training camp, whether um, whether they're injuries or players that that step up or ones that don't quite show what they need to. And um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what what how this this first round of the playoffs segues into the uh, into the next season, into training camp. Uh, but certainly the way the Canadians finished, um, it, there were some real positive signs for them to look toward. I just I, I just thought that they were kind of uh, they didn't get jobbed. They just had extraordinarily bad luck in game six. Yeah. We really earned the right to, to play a game seven. You know, um, yeah. they deserved a better fate. And mm-hmm. uh, my comment uh, got misconstrued on social media, surprise, surprise, where I said that they deserved a better fate, but I was referring to game six, that they so totally outplayed Philadelphia that they really deserved to win that game, that there should have been a game seven, but people thought, oh, they they deserved a better fate. It's like, well, that's not what I said. No. Um, So I I just want to clarify that. Uh, That's, uh, you know, because game seven, winner take all, it would have been a very interesting scenario to to see uh, how that's, how it would have played itself out for the Canadians to, I've had to win three games in a row against a team like Philadelphia. Um, that's, uh, it would have been high drama. Uh, oh, God. No, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it was encouraging in that game six after um, Philly went up one nothing so soon mm-hmm. into the first period. And Dave and I talked about this in our post game on Friday, but it was just like, I was just, here we go again. You know, and I was just like, Hopefully, I mean, if we see something different and it's 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 not a mirror image of games two and three, three and four, where they got uh, shut out. Oh, yeah. That, that, those were games uh, three and four. Three and four. Yeah. So I, I just, I was so terrified that we were going to see a copy of that and just uh, have the joy completely sucked out of the rest of the game and then have to say goodbye, you know? And so... The fight that they showed, it's something that I haven't seen in this team in a long time. And so at least it was at least it was entertaining. Um, these guys have a lot of heart and it's it's gonna be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. But um uh Mark Bergevin, I think, understands you know, the stage of the career uh, of Carrie and Shea Weber. And I you know, I say this every year, <laughs> but I feel like this year might be big this off season. Well, you know what? They have a lot of currency. Yeah. Uh, 14 draft picks and uh, their prospect pool is quite full. And most hockey experts believe very deep as well. And uh, there are some roster players. Uh, and that's what I was trying to get a... Um, um, a response out of Bergevin when he had his season-ending press conference on Saturday when I asked him about uh, the information that he gathered, the impressions that he made from the this postseason uh, looking toward uh, next summer when he's got a whole boatload of very important UFAs and an RFA contract in Max Domi's this summer or fall that he needs to take care of as well. And, you know, based on 
certain players that had good postseasons and some that didn't perform up to standards as well, how might that affect his decision making? Um, as, you know, knowing that next summer is going to be very uh, a very significant one, but also potentially very expensive. Um, but he didn't bite on that, and um, no. <laughs> so um, yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll have to see what, who, if anybody on their current roster might be a trade chip uh, between now and. Well, I mean, the Canadians can make trades now. They can trade yeah. for anybody that's still mm-hmm. not in the playoffs. So I mean, we could find out about something later this week. Um, I don't think we will, but then again, <laughs> uh, Bergevin has tended to surprise us with big trades, and yeah. so uh, I guess we just have to be on high alert. Yeah. <laughs> see if something significant happens in the short term. Yeah, it's um it today there was some drama on social media, which probably doesn't have all that much substance, but it's whenever when stuff like that happens and you don't hear anything from the Habs in any way, shape, or form about anything, that's when I get a little anxious thinking, well, <laughs> something's gonna happen. Because when it comes to the Habs, it's always like you're in a constant state of hurry up and wait in the off season. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how big it's going to be because um, the organization is notorious for hardly ever, ever leaking information. So you never know what's going to happen until it actually happens, which is uh, you know, both good uh, and bad. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things with the haps. Well, uh, to be honest with you, Dave, uh, today I spent most of my day either uh, getting acquainted with my drum kit uh, mm. and running errands. So I stayed off of social media, so you'll have to uh, uh, enlighten me uh, <laughs> without giving the It's so up. silly, John. Uh, it's very the, silly. It's the silliest thing. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, Are sure, you ready? Yeah, lay it on me. You understand the fan base, though. So what <laughs> happened is that one of the cardinal rules of athletic social media occurred today when Max Domi removed Montreal from his descriptive, uh, his bios on Twitter and Instagram. It's very, very bad to do. Everybody was like, (gasps) so everyone thought, oh, a trade is imminent. (laughs) Let's all wait and see what happens. And then you have people going in saying, well, is he still following the team? And thank God we had some journalists on the scene that said, yes, he's still following the team. So we're in the clear screenshots and everything. It was happening. It was all day today. Uh, But it just goes to show that, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, social media and especially Twitter, the Habs base of Twitter can go from playoff mode to holy crap, this is happening in the offseason mode. And that 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 gear switched real quick. I just don't understand. Like people think to check that like, oh, it's August 24. Let's go look at Max Domi's Twitter bio. Oh, and I, I kid you not. So I'm, I'm involved in another group chat on Twitter, and uh, somebody found a tweet of somebody else saying that, well, this was his Twitter bio in February, screenshot <laughs> and everything compared to oh today. And it's like there is a change, and it's just there it is. Now, this segues, though, into an interesting conversation about Max Domi uh, in that, well – People will say he didn't have all that great of a playoff. We were expecting this explosion uh, to happen uh, from him as a player. And, of course, all the greatness, uh, you know, all the great stuff came down to Suzuki, Kodkaniemi, and a sneaky Jonathan Drouin putting up, um, if I'm looking here, he led the team in points with uh, with Nick Suzuki in the offseason, while Domi did not. 
And so that fuels, you know, the, uh, the assumptions on what's going to happen with a player. And as you say, he's also an RFA. So it's very, it's interesting in a way. Yeah. And, and you know, you can uh, try to, I guess, uh, dissect Max Domi's postseason. Uh, to me, there were just a lot of factors that, that kind of uh, contributed to what most feel was uh, unexpected uh, in terms of its, its lack of sizzle. Uh, and really, uh, take a look at the fact that he didn't get to training camp with uh, he missed a whole the whole first week of training camp. Right. And nobody could have predicted that Jesper Kotkaniemi would have solidified his position basically from day one in that third line center spot that presumably would have been Max Domi's. And so by the time that Max got to camp, uh, I don't think there was really any way that's that he would have been able to change uh, Claude Julien's and the coaching staff's mind to make a switch that you had Deno, Suzuki, Kotkaniemi. And so they still wanted to make, they still wanted Max to be a centerman, I think because of the fact that he had basically nearly two full seasons worth of experience with the Canadians at the center position. And last season he had a tremendous year. Led the Mm -hmm. team in scoring, right? Um, And so I think they still wanted to make sure that he he, he still played at a position that was a position of strength for him. It's just unfortunate, though, that that fourth line became a little bit of a Frankenstein line, you know, that it really wasn't a traditional fourth line in the way that Claude Julien would typically construct one in the playoffs, especially you look at his history with Boston and the Merlot line was that line was lights out in the 2011 Stanley Cup run. And so Max wasn't really... Uh, he wasn't placed in a position to to show his best um, or to uh, to let his, his his gifts and his abilities to really come to the forefront because you knew that he would at the very least would be playing limited minutes and he didn't have finishers on his wings and nothing against Jordan Wheel or Dale Weiss but ideally you would have had like a Nate Thompson centering Dale Weiss yeah. right then that line would have had a very different character to it. They would have had a very different raison d'etre, and they would have had you know, primarily a defensive role, a lot of uh, a lot of defensive zone faceoffs, especially with Nate Thompson, right? So you put those factors together, and it wasn't really, um, um, uh, I guess, a set of circumstances that really set Max Domi up to succeed from the out uh, from the outset. But having said that, as a professional, you got to make the most out of Every shift, every shift is an opportunity to do something to help the team to shine. And and watching the entire qualifying round and then the first round, um, until uh, I'm trying to remember now whether it was Paul Julian or Kirk Muller, I think Muller. it was Muller who put Max with with Jesper Kotkaniemi. That's mm-hmm. when we really started to see a little more jam, a little bit more, uh, uh, a little more jump in in Domi's game. And um, so. I'm not sure what you can really glean from the aftermath of that, but certainly, um, oh, he he didn't have the type of postseason that anybody would have expected, especially since it was his first postseason too, and the type of player that he is that brings energy all the time, emotion, and that's when he's most effective when he's on the edge, when he's when he he's out there playing like his hair's on fire and he's looking to really, you know, disrupt the opposition in addition to 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 making plays. Um, 
we really didn't see that. And uh, so that's Max isn't going to be part of um, the players that will speak to the media on Tuesday at the season and in press conference. There's three players and he's not one of them. And so we Who are they? Oh, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah, they don't announce that publicly. So uh, it is going to be um, Brett Kulak, um, Philip Dano, and wow. uh, Thomas Tatar. Oh, I like that, man. Yeah, okay, I at, like it too. Starting at 11 o'clock. And, uh, and the thing is, because you know what, I mean, in the, in the latter stages of the, 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 the series against Pittsburgh, um, Jonathan Drouin, uh, Nick Suzuki, Kerry, and Shea talked a lot. Um, oh, yeah. They all did post games. And so um, it sounded like the Canadians weren't interested in giving them to us again because they probably felt like, what more are they going to say after yeah. they spoke mm-hmm. at length in the final two games? Um, and that's fair. There are other players that we wanted to speak to. Uh, but having said that, Max Domi would have been a guy that we would have liked to, you know, just sort of get his thoughts on a debrief, see a yeah. debrief, you know. Um, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait till training camp. Unless something happens. I mean, and that's what I. Yeah. And uh, Dave, uh, you know, the fan base is probably a little bit um, in a whirl about that. And I do know <laughs> that Elliot Friedman wrote something in, I guess it's 31 thoughts um, about, about Max and Pittsburgh and Mario and Ty and all the connections there that would suggest that there would be a good fit there. But whether there's any substance to it, I guess we won't know until it actually happens because that's just the way the Canadians operate. Right. All right. Now, somebody else that comes to mind, if we're, if we're talking about like, like heels, quote unquote, uh, for this, uh, a big surprise uh, from the playoffs is how, despite all the juggling on the fourth line, we never got to see Ryan Paling. I wanted to see if you had any thoughts about that. It's hard to to know that for certain, Dave, just because one of the disadvantages of uh, the way the NHL and teams have set up their postseason activities is that we didn't get to see a single practice. We in the media, uh-huh. whether we were in Toronto or at home that basically there was nothing coming out of practices um i believe just before the qualifying round had started the canadians posted their lines from practice one or two practice days and then it was cut off there were no live streams there was uh, a little bit of video that they provided for the first few days and then once the game started there was nothing and i was absolutely appalled at the Mm. team and the NHL for allowing that to happen because that is, this is the NHL. This is not the NFL, the NFL and the NBA for that matter, conduct closed practices. You know, where do they get off cutting off our access? 100% like that. There was absolutely no justification for that. I thought that was Bush league. And so it completely prevented us from being able to do our jobs. And so that's a very long winded way for me to get to the, your question, Dave, uh, that no, I didn't see a single second of Ryan Paling on the ice where he was lined up in the pecking order would have been at least a fifth line. Um, who he was working with, what he was doing when he was uh, on the ice after practices. Uh, I really could, I can't tell you. Um, I wish I had an answer, but uh, the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, we saw 
Jordan Wheel, Dale Weiss. Uh, Dale Weiss, obviously, with much more playoff experience. Alex Belzil, who had a very good year in, in Laval. Um, <laughs> and uh, Charles Yudon. Um, the fact that they went fairly deep into their black ace pool without uh, putting Paling in tells me that coaching staff just didn't feel that Paling was ready. And mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, is that if you talk to people who cover the Laval Rocket on a regular basis, They'll say that the tail end to his season, especially when it ended in injury, wasn't wasn't the best. You know that he wasn't a standout player, and so going into the pandemic break, coming out of it, if there really wasn't anything that he showed the coaching staff in training camp, uh, that and that was really the opportunity for every player, you know, whether they were veterans or not, to show what state of their game was in coming off a four month break. Um, my my belief is that Ryan Paling really just didn't show them enough to warrant uh, a place in 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 the regular roster. And the thing too is that the deeper we got into the qualifying round and the first round, the greater likelihood that you were not going to see him either, because yeah. he's still a rookie. He doesn't have a full year of NHL experience under his belt, so there's no way a coach, whether it's Claude Julien or Kirk Muller is going to trust a rookie that much without enough of a body of work, a large enough sample size during the regular season to say that, yes, he's earned that opportunity or in training camp or in practices, you know, in the absence of a, of a, of a wildfire of injuries. Uh, that's not the time and place for a raw rookie to be coming in when the stakes are really high. And if he's only going to get about five or six minutes of ice time in a game, one shift could be a critical turning point yeah. if it goes against them in a in a high stakes, generally tight, close match. And so people that thought, oh, you should give him a chance, it'd be great for his development. No, it's not the time no. for development. You know? I mean, you can argue that Nick Suzuki and Jesper Kotkiniemi, that that added to their development, but that just, no. But the thing is, is that the level that they were playing at heading into the pandemic, in Suzuki's case, coming out of it's, and then the work that Katanyemi put in during the break, during the pause, they earned those opportunities. They earned those spots, and they shone in those roles. So these are apples and oranges, and people that think that Palin got jobbed, well, I can't even safely say, I can't say with authority that I know what was going on in those practices. So people that say that, they are talking out of yeah. their, their butts. Yep. Know nothing. <laughs> you know, they know less than the nothing that I know. Yeah. Case. Yeah. There's something. Um. There's the the coaches. Like I I I I was happy to hear what uh, Bruce Van had to say about how we haven't have not given up on this player because he understands you know the potential that he does have, but <laughs> there's something that the coaches do not see there quite clearly because we haven't seen him in the NHL other than that one game. Yeah. Well. Um. He had a very brief stint, yeah. you know, like in, in a cup of coffee at various yeah. times. But, I mean, the concussion that he suffered in the preseason, that didn't help his cause, right? And whether right. he felt that he was ready when he – whether he felt that he had healed in time to start the season, well, coaching staff probably felt that he needed more time in Laval to get his game back. And this is the double-edged sword. We in the media love it when players are honest and they're candid. And yeah. Ryan Kaling was candid. He said that he went down to Laval 
and his head wasn't in the right place, you know, that he wasn't mentally prepared to be down there where he was insinuating that he thought that he was going to be up at the big club. And so I really appreciate that honesty. But um, at the same time, everybody in the organization pays attention to those sorts of things. Um, and so that might have sort of shone a light on um, where the state of his game was with respect to on-ice performance, um, which is also connected to his preparation. Um, yeah. Uh, how he practices, you know, all the all the the steps that go into being a pro. And he's still a young guy. This was he's a rookie, right? So it doesn't it doesn't come instantly or quickly in many players' cases. Everybody everybody grows up at a different pace and uh, a lot of it's on the individual himself, but then, you know, some of it has to do with this, like, are there veterans that take these guys under their wing, you know, and, and if players are lucky enough to find a good mentor, then that helps them to become uh, a better pro in a shorter amount of time. So I think this is all just part of the process for Ryan Paling that he hasn't quite hit. Um, he hasn't, he, he hasn't taken, um, I guess, the optimum steps in certain parts of his development to get him to where he needs to be. And uh, so that's, yeah, absolutely. Bergevin is saying they haven't given up on him. Why would they, right? Unless, yeah. there, was, unless there were issues or problems that were so um, uh, <laughs> insurmountable, uh, why, would they, why would they give up on a guy that's, that's in his early 20s, has yeah. a lot of potential, that's... You know, physically, the guy has all the tools to be uh, on a very effective pro. So, yeah, it just takes time. And um, so uh, we'll see uh, how he comes out of this offseason, how he reports to training camp and, you know, what the state of his game is there. And because, you know what, the better the better competition that you have amongst the prospects, the better t the team is going to be. That internal yeah. competition, I mean, it's a cliche, but you know what, internal competition is what makes – organizations better for sure absolutely and with um the nick suzuki showed us who he is he kind of um took back the experience that he got in the uh, competing for the memorial cup and just he he was the only guy who got the goals in game six for the Habs, and um and also just cut kaniemi i cannot say how enough how proud I am of him for the just sort of nightmare season that he had in the NHL last year. And then, um, you know, going to the AHL, uh, who said it? Kirk Muller said he wasn't happy about it, but he certainly made the most of it. And then uh, the splenic injury and the recovery. And then to take the, to recover from an injury like that, like the spleen is no joke. And to not only uh, recover fully, but then train and do the work and, you know, how, how ready he was for that play in round was amazing. And he kind of sort of validated everything that we've been saying on the happy hour for nearly three years now. And um, just, just, I was so happy for him and he's so physical. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think going that, after the big guys like he belonged. A lot sure. of switches flipped for Kotkaniemi in oh, these yes. playoffs. Because <laughs> like you said, John, he, um, he, he 
and Suzuki, of course, too, but they just grew up during the course of the series. But I think the biggest surprise for me was Kotkaniemi. We knew Nick Suzuki was a uh, the guy was a game breaker in the OHL uh, yeah. and every one of the playoff series during the Memorial Cup run. Uh, he was he was a uh, Guelph's guy uh, while Colt Kanyemi was like, we didn't even know he was going to play in the playoffs because of the injury. But I mean, talk about a talk about a complete about face when it comes to how he was playing when uh, uh, when the pause started to the playoffs. It's almost a completely different player. It's really exciting, perhaps, yeah, and for yeah, Colt Kanyemi. I, I think um, I'm not sure whether Claude Julien or Mark Bergevin was would have been the most surprised uh, person in the organization when it came to Colt Kanyemi's uh, performance, simply because when the Canadians, when the news came out that the Canadians were added to the to the qualifier, um, and Bergevin did a uh, a Zoom conference with the media. He was asked about Kotkin. I mean, at that time, which I think was late April, if I'm not mistaken, mm. uh, he said that he didn't know if Kotkin was going to even be available for training camp because right. he wasn't certain uh, about the 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 just the how far along he was in his recovery from that spleen injury. So imagine what their surprise was when Kotkaniemi reported to camp um, thicker, stronger, more stable on his skates, um, and then carrying that the jam that he was showing in training camp into games where he was hitting everything in sight, where he was winning puck battles like he never had before, going into the corners with no fear whatsoever, no hesitation, and blending that with the, the vision and... Uh, I guess the patience, the puck poise that he has when he enters the offensive zone and is able to to draw defenders to him, he can create his own time and space and 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 find his his wingers. Um, he just put together a whole lot of elements in a very short time, and a lot of credit goes to him for having the uh, the, the commitments and uh, the initiative to to do what he did during during the pause to come back in that kind of shape and show everybody uh, what he was capable of because that really signals what type of player he's going to be, you know, um, uh, hard to know exactly the, the offensive upside because he has such a good shot, you know, wrist shot, yes. snap shot, uh, but he doesn't use it enough. He's still as a young player and that's understandable. He's only like one month past his 20th birthday, uh, especially centerman, you know, young players, they tend to overpass, they try to make plays. They're trying to defer to, to veterans, to older players. They don't want to look selfish. And uh, But once he is more judicious about using that shot, he's going to be the complete package um, because I'm sure that's within the next season or two, you'll start seeing him kill penalties. Um, he'll probably get more power play time, uh, graduate from the second unit to the first unit. Um, and, um, well, just because his tool, the tools are all there. You know, and we know how hard he is on himself, his own expectations. So he's constantly pushing to get better. And so a, uh, a player that's that young, that has that kind of initiative, that kind of raw talent. Um, and I think he sees where he can go 
um, he's he's going to he's going to get more responsibilities from 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 Claude Julien um, simply because he's earned more of his trust in this postseason and shown what he's capable of um, and gives a little bit of a, a glimpse of what his ceiling could be, which is looking very high now after what we witnessed in the in the last three weeks. And it yeah, makes one... me wonder, um, like we we know that. Kokinami uh, and Mete have a connection, as we've seen on Instagram and and whatnot. But um, I I wonder what is going on between Nick Suzuki and Yasper Kokinami because I know this is like this just a weird thing. But um, before every game, they do like that slow mo of the players walking in, and I a lot of the time, I think at least three times. Um, Nick and Nisperi were walking in together and they stop and they give each other this like knowing look <laughs> and then they keep walking and it happened multiple times and it just makes me wonder like what are they doing like what is this like secret magic that they have <laughs> together um, because they were secret magic for the Habs yeah well they uh, could very well be the top two centers on this club for a good long time, right? And uh, I think that there is a little kinship. I can't speak to what exactly they, what you're referring to, Beth, what that <laughs> might be, um, simply because, again, with the access or lack thereof, and mm-hmm. also the fact that the players were basically forbidden to communicate with media via our uh, you know, texts or mm-hmm. DMs and things like that, um, uh, that I think those two recognize what they can be for this club. You know, they're not going to assume that. They're not going to uh, believe or, or, or they're not going to uh, feel entitled to either of those top six center positions. They know they're going to have to earn it with their play and with their attitude and how they prepare and how they practice. But, uh, you know, certainly um, anybody with two eyes in their head can see that's that sure looks like the future of the Montreal Canadiens in the center line um, for however long they can they can keep these guys under contract. Because, uh, well, it's, uh, it, it's really fascinating how in the space of about a year, uh, or less than a year, uh, a position that had been one of such weakness for the Canadiens for decades uh, has now yeah. turned around. Because, I mean, we talk about Kakanyemi, we talk about <clears throat> Suzuki, and everybody knows what's what Phil Dineau is capable of. Um, but we haven't even mentioned Jake Evans, who I thought oh, was tremendous. Yes. And uh, he is so uh, so well-suited for the role that they gave him. Um, and again, a rookie. You know, uh, I, I mean, the three kids have, between the three of them, fewer than four complete seasons of NHL experience. And yet <laughs> here they are, the center line from lines, well, one, three, four, or two, three, four, depending on, how uh, how the coaches had lined up um, their their uh, their roster. Um, so I mean, truly, that's that bodes extraordinarily well for the the future. Simply because building a club from from the middle part out, goaltender, top pairing defenseman, and then up, you know, your 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 four centers. Um, that, Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. <laughs> centers. Yeah, you're not supposed to be listening anyhow. You won't believe it, John, but. For a second, I saw your wrist pop up, and there was just a wall of text, and I was like, like, oh, no. 
that's been listening for a while. Yeah. <laughs> really wants yeah, to yeah. answer a question. I know. Yeah. Like I said, my, when my wife got FaceTime, and she does the same thing too. Siri does, not my wife. Yeah. Oh, no. Pressing the button to shut it off. <laughs> I think you have the same band as I have. Um, is that a metal band? It's a metal band. Oh, okay. No, mine is one of those, uh, um, I don't know, nylon. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I match them to my suits. Of course you do. They're so fashionable. So awesome. I, I was going to mention a quick thing about Kurt Kanyemi that um, it was kind of the thing that almost pleased me the most about his confidence and that it was his physicality. Like the Pittsburgh Penguins, I mean, they they didn't have an opportunity to, obviously, but they certainly did not have the scouting report on Kotkaniemi because the looks of surprise that I saw mm. on those faces whenever he would deliver those hits, it was almost like they were like, hey, look, don't you know how, how old you are, who I am? Like, you know, yeah. um, so that was a really cool part of it for me. And I maintain with my Homer bias, that his hit on, um, I can't even remember oh, this. Yeah. The, the major in game misconduct? Yeah. Oh, what a call. The two-minute penalty. <laughs> yeah. According to Kerry um, Fraser. Uh, at, at, most, <laughs> uh, at most, double minor, I thought. At, at the most, yeah. Yeah, like for, for drawing blood. I mean, granted, it wasn't a stick, but I thought that uh, um, a major in a game misconduct was excessive. Um, I, I believe that the call was made on on the basis of the results, as opposed to um, I mean he didn't take he didn't take three four or five steps uh, and boarded yeah. them. No, it was no. just it was it was Sanheim turned at the last split second. Kotkaniemi was already committed to the hit, and so it was we've seen that that play time and again, um, and more often than not that play does not draw a major unless it was, you know, multiple steps coming at, at the, uh, at the, the hit he, um, yeah. or there was clear intent, uh, to injure. Uh, but you no, know, he was trying to finish a check in the neutral zone and, uh, end up with the bad results. And I think the refs, um, over, uh, over penalized him in that regard, but you know what, give the team credit because, yeah. you know, he gave up, yes. he gave up two, two goals, two power play goals in, you know, to a, to a team whose power play had been pretty much dreadful the entire playoffs, right? So you think, uh-oh, they kind of gave them life at that point. But um, they fought back yeah. and then ended up winning that game. Um, that's that, At that point, that's where I thought, okay, they have enough momentum that this could very well turn into a seven-game series. Um, yeah. uh, although my prediction was that they were going to lose a, a close, very hard-fought one in game six. Just because I thought the, the the greater likelihood of winning three, or well, the likelihood of winning three straight would have been very slim, and um, thought that's something yeah. was going to happen in Game Six that they were going to do a lot of really good things, do a lot of things right, and not come away with the um, with the result that they would have hmm. preferred. Yeah, perhaps hmm. fans would be upset to know that I was correct in that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just it was just a gut feeling. Um, yeah, but who could have predicted three own goals? I mean, two clear own Ugh. goals, real bad luck. Carry a double deflection going in against Carry on uh, on for the winning goal, which yeah. 
came at four and a half minutes into the second period. That's crazy that the Canadians did so many of the right things from that point on and weren't able to uh, tie the game, get the result that, uh, that, they, that they wanted. That's right. But that's hockey. Right? That's hockey. Yeah. Yeah. It's the beautiful game. It's why we watch. It's so great. <laughs> the high blood pressure keeps I had um, back. I had a real quick thing on Kutk and Yemi, even though we're almost like way over the, uh, the topic of that. But John, you mentioned that um, he's very hard on himself. And as soon as you mentioned that, it made me think of one of his interviews or his press. I think it was just an interview right after his first ever, was it a preseason game against Ottawa in Quebec City? This was the big Kotka Niemi versus Matthew Kachuk thing, right? And Kotka, well, he didn't have a great game. And I remember at that interview, he said, well, I think they're going to, I think they're going to, um, whatever they're going, they're going to bench me for the rest of the, uh, the yeah. preseason. <laughs> I was like, this poor kid. He was <laughs> joking. You know, oh yeah. Well, still, even so I was like, it's, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, I think he was serious. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was a bit of both. And the mm-hmm. thing about Kakiyami though, is that he has this very, um, uh, offbeat sense of humor. And, uh, I mean, it's like, I think back to the to the um, the incident with uh, Elias Pettersson, you know, when he mm. uh, when they got tangled up and <laughs> fan thought that he deliberately injured him, and they pointed to the morning skate where Kotkaniemi joked about that he hates sweet. <laughs> and I was like, well, he's thin. Of course, he hates sweets. Yeah. You know? um, but you know, people oh, don't understand that this guy has a wicked sense of humor. It's like, well, you didn't get the joke if you only read the quote. <laughs> Then there's yeah. even less uh, a mm. likelihood that you because there's no nuance on Twitter. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, sometimes, well, depending on the circumstances, when I tweet something, I'll say he said jokingly, um, you know, mm-hmm. laughs in parentheses after the, the the quote itself to try to give a little bit of context to it. Um, but um, yeah, he uh, that your Dave, I do remember, uh, I I do remember that. Um, that that scrum that's that statement that he made um and even after losses especially after losses if he's had uh in his rookie season when he had good games when he had when he stood out in terms of his performance um he was already of that mentality that it's like well we lost doesn't matter how i played you know um don't care what kind of game i had we lost right and for a kid who was barely 18 you know um a lot of that. That's why I always believed that there was no reason to worry about him, you know, that he was going to work out just fine. Um, because in his rookie season, until he kind of hit that wall, which is normal and that's understandable, um, so much of what we saw in the way he uh, practiced, the way he prepared, the amount of time that he spent on the ice um, after practices how hard he was on himself in games, um, but also with a sense of humor. There are just a whole lot of qualities that just that that signal that when he put it all together, he was going to be a tremendous pro. Um, and so I thought there's there's just no well, in addition to the fact that and I haven't mentioned it yet, just his vision, his hockey IQ, uh, his skill, right? Uh, the obvious parts of what he does. There was never any doubt in my mind that um he would have he would come out of this season just fine 
having said that, this postseason or the postseason, he he still exceeded what I believed he was capable of at this stage of his career. But yeah. uh, people writing him off over that campaign, it's like, well, come on. He had knee surgery last offseason, which led to uh, a core injury uh, coming out of training camp into the preseason that they finally had to shut him down around Halloween. Comes out of that, gets concussed, comes back from that, gets basically is struggling with his confidence in his game. So they rightfully send him to the AHL and then he gets spleen injury. So it's like, come on, like how many 19 year old kids have to go through uh, one patch of adversity after another like that and be expected to come back uh, and perform at the highest level in the best league in the world. Now at that point, barely 20, not even 20, you know, in his ninth, in his 19th year. And so really, like what people expect, I don't I don't really know. Um, but to say that he's a bust or that he that that he was a wasted pick that they should have picked Kachuk or Quinn Hughes or whatever. It's like, well, no, the Canadians picked him because they needed a center. And exactly. Well, mm-hmm. and they didn't have any idea that they were going to luck out and get Nick Suzuki in a blockbuster trade two months later. So in a very short time, they, they, they solved their, 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 their center position needs. Um, so I, I really don't think I, I'm, I'm, I can say with certainty that within a season to two seasons, uh, Kotkaniemi, the pick is going to be more than vindicated because he's going to start filling a role that the Canadians haven't been able to uh, successfully or sufficiently for, for decades. You know? And you can say the same thing about Nick Suzuki, too. I mean, they didn't oh, so exciting. Yeah. Oh, well, they, I think these kids are the real deal. You know? Yeah. They're, they're charting, we think they're so, charting, too. Yeah, they're charting a course that's going to be very, uh, very positive for themselves individually and uh, for the team collectively. Absolutely. I couldn't Amen. put it better myself, John. <laughs> <laughs> My mind to your mouth to the multiverse. Um, so we're starting to wind down on time, though, Beth. Uh, Veronica, do you have anything else for our esteemed guest? I think I think I had I got all my points in. I wanted to make my point about Kutkan um, Yemi's physicality. So yeah, we're good. Thanks, John. I think we nailed it. Yeah, I think I did too. Thank you, John. Oh, it's always, always fun to chat with you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Always, always a good time. <laughs> always, always. I think uh, we can probably do our little runoff if John, if you have a few more minutes, if you just want to chat after well, we're course, done. Yeah. Yeah, right, we can do that. Like I said, this is so, this is more fun than watching uh, uh, Philadelphia and New York Islanders. Bye. 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 Bye.